The following program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, is sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management. Good morning, everyone. Happy week before Thanksgiving. Welcome back to Digital Wellness with Dr. Mary. I'm Richardson, your associate producer, and we're here for another exciting week episode. This week, we're delving deep into the world of waiting, and Starbucks is a brand that has caught our attention and sparkled some interest, interesting conversation recently. We welcome a very special guest, Karen Howe, who a renowned expert in the field of advertising and branding. Today, we're going to explore what makes Starbucks and other brands more, just a, more than just a coffee shop or experience. It's about resonating and giving a positive experience. But before we sip on the Starbucks story, let's welcome our host, the digital wellness guru herself, Dr. Mary. Good morning, Richardson. It's always a pleasure to be here with our wonderful audience. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with our special guest later on in the show. Why don't I share a little bit about what shaped this episode and how it really inspired today's conversation. Um, I am in and out of hospitals, as, as most of our listeners know. And Last week, I had a truly heartwarming encounter at Starbucks. Um, it was at Toronto General Hospital, and it really got me thinking about the power of creating compassionate waiting spe- uh, spaces and how brands can create compassionate, um, compassionate waiting spaces that really create a sense of being human again, of getting away from digital, of relaxing our brain. Picture this. You walk into a Starbucks, but it's not just any Starbucks. It's located inside a major urban busy hospital, a place where every moment counts. And waiting can be especially challenging. You glance at the mission statement um, and handwritten on the wall, I saw this, was this statement. It said, our purpose is to provide a safe place for the TGH community, offering compassion, efficiency, and warmth. And my first thought, because I was very stressed, I'm sure all of you have been in stress when you're in a hospital, and because you're that way, you're scared and you're nervous and you tend to be far more negative. So my first response was, yeah, sure. You automatically don't believe it. That's your brain. Your brain actually sees things as more negative than they are because of digital. I talk a lot about that brain science in my book. But in this case, I was experiencing it. I wasn't thinking about my book. I wasn't thinking about how the brain works. I was just like, yeah, sure, you're going to provide a place of warmth, whatever. And hospitals as essential as they are, can be so stressful. Patients and their loved ones are navigating health concerns, uncertainty, and and sometimes difficult news. Waiting in a hospital can feel like an eternity. But at this Starbucks, they decided to be more than just a coffee shop. They really wanted to be a sanctuary. sanctuary. (laughs) And there was just four staff people there, And all of a sudden, those four staff members didn't just provide coffee on a cool fall day. They actually transformed the place. The people transformed the brand. 
the staff weren't just baristas. They were compassionate companions. In the midst of the ho- my hospital visit and other people's hospital visit, we all need more than caffeine. We need connection, warmth, and just a moment of calm. And it was their kindness, their genuine smiles, and their willingness to engage that made all the difference. They didn't just serve coffee, they served compassion. And in doing so, they provided a sense of safety and understanding to the hospital community. Now, how many of you have had a hospital experience in contrast to that? Hospitals through necessity can be overwhelming. There's sterile environments, medical terminology, and uncertainty triggers the brain's stress response, what we commonly know as fight or flight. When the brain perceives this threat or a stressful situation, it activates our sympathetic nervous system, releasing stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And these hormones prepare our bodies for action but they can also lead to anxiety and unease. And that's what I was experiencing. So in a hospital setting where waiting can be a common occurrence, the brain is already on high alert. The patterning in our brain knows that we're in a hospital. Unless you're having a baby, it's just not going to be a great experience. But the staff at the hospital, especially the Starbucks, are working super hard to change their game. Their compassionate approach reduced the stress response, creating a more relaxed and positive waiting experience. And at the Digital Wellness Center, we actually have designed games to do that that are on QR codes. The reason being, when we get stressed, like I was last Thursday, We don't listen to physicians. We're so stressed. For some reason, our listening ears turn on, off, and we only hear what we want to hear. And even if you take a caregiver with you, that still messes things up because your caregiver is so so stressed by being there with you. But my experience shows the incredible power of compassion. It's not just about making waiting more pleasant. It's about transforming the entire brand, the entire environment, and understanding the neuroscience of our brains on waiting. It's shocking to me how compassion can be a game changer. And it's a lesson we can all apply in our daily lives, making waiting a more compassionate and comforting experience. What do you think, Richardson? Honestly, I think you're very spot on. <laughs> um, without um, that compassion, we I don't believe that we can have a great experience. As you said, like when you go to the hospital, right? When you have a, a compassionate doctor or a compassionate physician, um, that gives you a better experience that lowers your anxiety, whatever stress or uh, whatever you have um, around you. But Dr. Mary, can you tell me um, about the impact of the digital world and our stress? Is digital helping us to be more compassionate? You know, it's funny you ask me that because the one thing um, 
I talked to my physicians about was while I was in the waiting room, every single person was on their phone. Nobody was reading a book. Everybody was on their phone. And some of them were gripping the phones so hard that their hands were white. And so my answer is absolutely not. Digital is limiting our ability to show kindness and experience oxytocin's positive effect. Now, I'm going to explain what oxytocin is in the brain in a minute. But what I want to highlight for you is the importance of choosing compassion. And as we go to Thanksgiving, it's going to be incredibly important for you to make some choices this week in our crazy stressed world. So let me give you, put it in story form, because we always learn best in story form. Imagine every single day you're faced with two choices. One where you can be kind and compassionate and the other where you can be indifferent or even unkind. So let's see how these choices affect our brains. So meet Alex and Emma. They're two sixth graders. One day they both see a new student, Sam, sitting alone at lunch. Sam looks a bit nervous and out of place. Now, Let's see how their brains respond. Alex decides to approach Sam with a warm smile and invites them to join their table. Alex's brain is flooded with a feel-good chemical called oxytocin. It's like a happiness potion that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, and we all have it. Even the grumpiest person in the world has oxytocin in their brain. You just have to activate it like Alex. Emma, on the other hand, chooses to ignore Sam and continues with her lunch. Her brain doesn't release as much oxytocin because she's not engaging in a compassionate act. Now, Rich, here's the exciting part. Oxytocin doesn't just make you feel good. It also helps reduce stress and anxiety. So when Alex shared a kind gesture, not only did Sam feel welcome, but Alex's brain also became more relaxed and less stressed. And guess what? Alex had a test in the next period, and she did really well on the test because she released the oxytocin in her brain. Meanwhile, Emma, who has the same test, her brain didn't experience that stress reduction. In fact, her brain's stress response, like the fight or flight mode we talked about earlier, might have kicked in a bit. Emma is not going to do as well on that test. Now, this is science. I'm not just making this up. This is how your brain operates. This is how humans have operated for thousands of years. Being kind helps you do better in life. But in today's digital world, we aren't having many kindness experiences and we aren't getting enough oxytocin because it's impossible to do that online. And even when we don't have enough oxytocin, um, it leads to irritability, the inability to feel affection, and increases our feelings of anxiety. You've all experienced it if you've scrolled too long on Instagram or Facebook or, uh, I don't know, LinkedIn, whatever, social media platform. Choose it, and it's hurting you. It's hurting your ability to be a compassionate person. And... This is hurting our society in general. 
Personally, I think Mark Zuckerberg has a lot to answer for because social media is designed to make us less compassionate. According to the American Social uh, American Psychological Society, 80% of us are too stressed. Many, many of us. I believe it. I don't recall this number 100%, but I think it's 69% are using pharmaceuticals to help us be a better person, where volunteering has the exact same effect as a pharmaceutical. In the 70s, when we didn't have the same pharmaceuticals, we were less stressed. We had no social media. And not that I'm calling for a return to the 70s, because that was a terrible time. But what I'm talking about looking at is the science of our brains and how to get us out of this stressful situation that 8 out of 10 of us are in. So let the story of Alex and Emma remind us and brands that choosing compassion isn't just a nice thing to do. It's about brain boosting. It's about stress reducing. And it's about happiness spreading superpower. We have a superpower, especially in a world where we can all use a little more oxytocin. So I'm going to wrap up this segment. And I want all of you Oh, I'm getting some text. Awesome. I want you to think about your brand experiences, both positive and negative. Have you encountered brands that truly understand the importance of emotional connection? Just just ask that because Karen, who's coming on the line, is an expert at understanding how brands try to create all of these feelings inside of us through advertising, which is a powerful storytelling medium. So have you experienced a great experience in waiting or a very poor experience in waiting? Um, Richardson, what's the, I think you've got some text here. What's the first text message you've received? Oh, I can't hear you. (laughs) Technical difficulties. Let me see if I can read. Okay. That's okay. I can read the first text. Oh, there you are. The first text message. Sorry about that. I recently, um, it says, I recently had an appointment at the healthcare clinic and they made me wait for what it felt like forever. Can you explain why healthcare providers often struggle with wait times and what can be done about it? Absolutely. Every healthcare provider is different. And as I said earlier, I'm sorry, it's all about illness. And you're always on a scale. Who's the most ill? Who's the least ill? Healthcare providers often deal with high patient volumes. The exhaustion that doctors, nurses, everyone in a hospital is facing is real. And there's unexpected delays, which can lead to longer wait times. For example, I was in an emergency a few years ago and somebody had been shot. So they took precedence over me. So in What hospitals are currently working on is improving scheduling, optimizing workflow, and enhancing communication that can help reduce these wait care times. One of the things we're working on is the patient journey, the customer journey, they call it in branding, which is providing a more positive waiting experience, much like that Starbucks, but now let's transfer that Starbucks feeling into the waiting room. Get people off phones. Uh, Years ago, I read the Dale Carnegie book, uh, How Not to Worry. And one of the things he says is on our brand journeys, one of the things we should do is always strive to put the same feeling a smiling baby gives someone. 
Whenever you see a baby smiling, no matter where you are, you want to smile back. By the way, that's your oxytocin kit kicking in. You want to show compassion to that baby. So the question is, how can you get that more often in healthcare? What else, what else do we have, Rich? Awesome. The next text says, I had a terrible experience waiting for customer service on oh, the phone. Yeah. The whole music was driving me crazy. <laughs> and brands make waiting on hold less painful. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I want to talk to Karen about this, too. But I don't know who designed this system that you call in and then you're talking to a computer and then you press this and you press that and you do all that stuff. Well, I'm super glad it's saving you money, but it's losing you clients. First of all, who picks that music? Second, why aren't you using that technology you have to give people mindfulness experiences, to give people funny experiences? Like, why don't we put Kevin Hart on everybody's hold? Like, I, I love Kevin Hart. Or use a podcast. I don't know if you've ever um, heard the podcast that um, Sean Hayes is on and he's really funny with a couple of these other guys and it's a great podcast. I think it's called Smartless. Why aren't we putting that on hold buttons? Why does hold have to be so painful? Well, the bottom line is because brands aren't investing in it. They don't care. So what's going to make you care about being part of the brand? And that's just something to put out there to brands and to put out to consumers. You know, one of the things you might want to do is just put it, put your phone on speaker so that you can do something else. You know, sometimes I've cleaned my bathroom when I've been on hold for my bank. It's terrible. But think of different things. And, and Karen's going to come into this. But Brands, you're really losing customers by the bucketful when you start doing this on your brands. And airlines are the absolute worst up there with banks and other service industries. What's our next text, Rich? Awesome. I love that. I love that. I would <laughs> be more engaged in that, for, to be honest. Our next text says, I love going to concerts, but waiting in line to get in can be frustrating. Frustrating. Oh, yeah. Are there any venues or event organizers that handle crowd waiting exceptionally well? There are. The only one I've ever seen it do as well as can be expected is Disney. So Disney creates games while you're waiting in line and they have beautiful visuals while you're waiting in line. And it's good because it engages particularly younger kids. And what you see is people starting to look forward to part of the wait. Um, if you look at concerts, if you look at uh, different venues, like think about it, you're shoved into a large space with thousands and thousands of people. Like, what are you going to do? Event organizers need to look at engaging people. For example, Manesh, who's part of our advisory board, so this is totally biased, used our digital wellness center QR codes to engage people in the crowd and start having a competition with Droodle Games during a recent Taylor Swift concert. Like, he had a lot of fun, and people had a lot of fun, and they got to know each other, and, you know, they weren't stressed about seeing Taylor Swift, but they weren't happy about waiting. And so, you know, you want to look at that whole experience and look at how you can increase it. Because when people are happy, they're going to buy more t-shirts, they're going to buy more sodas, they're going to buy more nachos and whatever else is out there that you can buy if they're in a good mood. Rich, what's our next question? 
So our next question is, I had a surprisingly pleasant waiting experience at the DMV office once. It was so different from what I expected. <laughs> How can government agencies improve their waiting processes? <laughs> well, that is the first time I have ever heard that. Good for you. Uh, thank you for that text. I'm so glad it was a wonderful waiting experience. I wish I could talk to you live and find out why. But government agencies don't seem to care. They, um, I mean, I could tell you all kinds of wonderful things, but you have to go into that process. But why agencies should care and why retail should care and why other brands should care, including airports. We have the great good pleasure of working at LaGuardia and they really care what your weight is like, is because if you don't, your staff are dealing with 20% more complaints, 20% more angry people, 20% more people that are so angry they can't get their message out or so tired they can't speak properly. And that means already, before the interaction has started, your staff are 20% less productive. So government agencies, large brands, people that use that, I think it's uh, ICD calling, you know, where you press the number, you get that computer and you can't get a real person. What you're doing is making your staff inefficient before they even begin to connect with consumers. Think about that loss in terms of financial. And that's where government agencies can make up huge amounts of money and huge amounts of shortfall. Once we start putting things into the process of money and we can actually give you an ROI on compassion and kindness in waiting, you begin to see the value of it to your brand. Why don't we take one more text? I see we're getting a lot of people talking about their waiting experiences. Rich, why don't we take one more? Yeah, this is actually a great um, text. It says, okay. I, really, I recently waited at a spa for my appointment and they had calming music and aromatherapy. It was wonderful. Can you explain why these sensory experience make waiting better? I love that. I do too, because we're actually going to talk a little bit about that. So sensory experiences like calming music, uh, aromatherapy, reduce our stress and anxiety because they trigger our senses. For example, hearing smelling. Uh, they often have lovely teas. I remember once going somewhere and they gave me a licorice tea. I think it was at a chiropractor. Um, they work to, to keep the lights at a nice low rate. They don't have the same kind of lighting that a hospital has to have. All of those things affect your mammalian brain. And that's your patterning. And you're trained to when there's softer lighting, when there's calming music, for example, the waves, water has an amazing effect on the brain. That causes your heart rate to lower. That causes your breathing to become deeper. You're less shallow. Like when you're at a hospital, like feel your breathing. It's literally almost in your throat. Very little of it's getting into your lower lungs. But that's the nature of being there. When we go to a spa, 
they want to trigger our sensory so it can be more enjoyable. They're really trying to figure out waiting. And that's why, you know, people are coming up with candles and doing all these crazy things that um, want people to react so that they're calm because then you enjoy more and then you tip better. I hate to say it, but a lot of times it does come back to money. You do want your clients to have a positive experience so they come back. So, Let's, let's just check our sensory experiences. I wrote another quiz. Oh, we had such a great response to uh, our quiz last week. So I think this is going to become a regular se- um, segment. Why don't we look at how to um, make waiting a wellness exercise? How can you unveil your oxytocin superpower? So let's identify your waiting style. And, reveal, and, and, and help you learn how much oxytocin you might be generating in everyday situations. Are you ready, Rich? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, because at the end, we're going to tally it up, just like last week. <laughs> so, poor Karen, she's going to have to follow this. Karen, I want you to do this, too. So, when you're waiting in line at a coffee shop... How often do you strike up a friendly conversation with a fellow coffee enthusiast? A, never. I prefer to stay in my bubble on my phone. B, occasionally, if the opportunity presents itself. And C, always. I love making coffee and new friends. A, B, or C? Hmm. I'm def- I, I'm more occasionally <laughs> if the opportunity presents itself. Sometimes it's kind of weird when you, you know, try and go up to people and make conversation, but sometimes the conversations just come easily, right? I'm that weird person. I always talk to people, but I think that's my scientist background. Like I look at them, I want to know what they're doing, how they're doing it. All right. Question two, you're at the doctor's office and the waiting room is full. How do you typically pass the time scrolling through my phone or reading a book, chatting with other patients or the receptionist? Offering to help anyone who looks nervous or confused. Hmm. Um, definitely offering to help anyone who looks nervous or confused. Um, it's, it's as you said. Sometimes you're just anxious, and then when you see someone who's more anxious, you're like, okay, you can try to calm them down. But also, I would probably be scrolling on my phone too, <laughs> just to. <laughs> see so I feel like I'm both. Well, here's a funny story. The reason we have the Digital Wellness Center is because I talked to someone who was nervous or confused. So again, compassion leads to insight that leads to ideas that eventually leads to a great business. So question number three, you're stuck in traffic during rush hour. Oh, we talked about this last week too. How do you react? A, I get frustrated and honk my horn. B, I listen to music or a podcast to pass the time. Or C, I usually take the time to call a friend or a family member for a chat. Most of the time I, I would be on the phone. So it's just less more frustration. Uh, frustration. So I'm definitely C for sure. Okay. I, I, let me guess You're what like, you are. Yeah, what am I? I think <laughs> maybe A. <laughs> a little bit. Even if I am on the phone with family or friends, I still can't get, like, I can't be calm. <laughs> like, I don't know why. 
I know all about this science, but man, I, like when I get behind the wheel, I just get so frustrated. Um, at a grocery store checkout, you notice someone struggling to reach an item on a high shelf. What do you do? A, ignore it and continue with my shopping. B, consider helping, but usually don't. C, offer to assist them in reaching the item. Definitely C, always offer to, to assist them. I, I would feel terrible if I just see someone struggling. I don't. And I'm tall. So, of course, I'm going to help people. I can always reach the top shelf. So, um, during a flight delay at the airport, how do you handle the situation? A, complain, complain to the airline staff and fellow passengers. B, find a comfortable spot to read or watch videos. And C, strike up a conversation with nearby travelers and share travel stories. Hmm. Oh, this one is kind of tough. I think yeah. B or C. Uh, sometimes I get so comfortable, I just kind of want to pull myself out of whatever craziness is happening. So I'll just focus on reading or watching videos. But if someone is nice and they're talkative and sparks up, sparks up a great conversation, why not? Like I always, I'm always engaging in conversations. So here, let's score yourself. If you A, every answer, give yourself one point. For every B, give yourself two points. And for every C, give yourself three points. So if you're five to seven, you have the potential to boost your oxytocin levels while waiting by being more open. Just be aware that other people are around. Perhaps take your head off your phone and look around. You don't have to do anything if you're shy. Just look around. If you're uh, 8 to 11, you're an oxytocin enthusiast. You're on the right track and you engage in oxytocin boosting behaviors while you're waiting. And guess what? That makes you less stressed. But if you have 12 to 15 points, so a lot of C's, congratulations. You are keeping yourself healthy by creating an oxy-rich waiting experience. So... Talking about oxytocin and creating these experiences is a great segue to go to our guest, who I'm super excited. I've been talking about her a bit all morning. Um, Richardson, who is joining us today? So we have... Sorry about Oops, I, that. I lost you for a second. That's okay. I'll jump in here. Because Sorry. you know her better. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have um, Karen Howe, a renowned expert in the field of advertising and branding. Karen has not only won awards at Kane's Lions, but also served as a judge and is currently on an advisory board. Karen, can you, can you unlock the mystery of Kane's Lions for our audience and explain what it means for brands? Sure I can. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me in this morning. I just want to tell you, I took the quiz and I got a 10 and I'm very happy. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast. I'm, I'm right in there. Um, yeah, Richardson, thanks for the segue and, and Dr. Mary, glad to join you this morning. Um, yeah, Kim Line is, is a really, it, it's like the Olympics of advertising. It's this week-long event where about 20,000 people from 100 countries around the world come together to celebrate creativity and advertising innovation. And it's this massive gathering that features not just an award show, but it has hundreds of sessions led by the who's who of advertising, business, technology, medicine, entertainment, 
And, you know, I got to tell you, it's like FOMO. You're, you're, I spend five solid days in fear of missing out because no matter what I attend, I'm missing, you know, 85 other, other great oh, things. No. <laughs> and it's kind of really, it's, it's wild. It's like, yes, there's yachts and rosé and there's celebrities. I mean, this year we had luminaries like Kevin Hart. Uh, Dr. Mary, you would have loved that. He was really I love him. Beyonce was, oh my gosh, yeah. And, and I'm going to uh, double back on that one because I want to talk about humor and waiting. I've got a story I want to share with you. But sure. Paris Hilton was there. Lauren Michaels was there. Jay-Z. It was, it was crazy. But it's essentially the Super Bowl for creativity. And the reason I go, and I've been going for a decade now, is I go there to take the pulse of the advertising world and bring back those insider insights that brands need to stay ahead in today's crazy marketplace. Um, okay, I want to hear the, the waiting and humor story, but I also have to say, oh my gosh, we've been saying it wrong. It's can, like a beer can versus con. Yes, ma'am. So that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, and, yes. and, and Karen, like when you go and you've been, you've been going for a while, you are on the board, you're doing all these exciting things. Like what are some of the great stories um, that you, you can share with us? Like this is like an insider's glimpse into a world I know nothing about. This is cool. Yeah, it really is. I mean, advertising is like mini Hollywood in a lot of ways. A lot of times we're uh, working with celebrities, dealing with celebrities. But I think the big thing about advertising is we don't just mirror culture, Dr. Mary. We actually form it, help, help you know, kind of frame it up. Yeah. And I think that uh, it, it often is a really good litmus test for what's going on around the cultural, around the world and what the zeitgeist is. And, um, you know, certainly it gives me a tremendous opportunity to get put my finger on what the most significant trends are um, yearly. And certainly one of the ones I wanted to talk with you about this morning is the power of emotion in advertising, mm-hmm. which, you know, dovetails beautifully into many of the points you've been making this morning. Return on emotion, which I call ROE, is becoming the new return on investment, ROI. And the reason for this is that emotions connect us to brands. And what they do essentially is foster brand love. It's the reason I'll choose one thing over another. It's because you make me feel a certain way. And um, studies have shown us that we actually make 90% of our decisions in our life with our hearts, not our heads. We think we're very rational decision makers. We're not. We think (laughs) with our hearts. And it's so interesting because what grabs our attention uh, is what makes us stop and take notice. So that, that's certainly a very big trend. But another one that I think is worth talking about is humor. After th- uh, almost three years of disappearing, it's been a tough three years. Um, humor is making a huge comeback after a three-year hi- hiatus. Thank God. <laughs> so yeah, really, sick right? of all these serious um, ads. It, like, ugh. I know. I know. And, and, you know, it's it's interesting because studies show that 89% of us love brands with humor, yet only 20% of brands are currently using it. So this segues into a story that I wanted to share with you about waiting um, and humor and the importance of, you know, kind of what do you do at that time? One of my clients is a a national uh, tire brand across Canada. And their on-hold messaging used to be just that horrible music. It just makes you want to run around and do anything but sit on hold. Yes, we've all been there. What I did is I talked to them and I said, you know, we use humor in your advertising. We've got this wonderful, uh, their spokesman is a guy named Tom Sharp, very funny guy, kind of like Bob Newhart. 
And what we did is instead of putting music on, we wrote these scripts where he would chat to you while you were on hold and tell you funny stories and just make goofy jokes. And it got to the point Brilliant. that people would say, can you put me back on hold? <laughs> so it really kind of, I mean, I think that was uh, just a, it was a beautiful marriage of, you know, lifting your levels of oxytocin and making it a, a joyful event rather than one that made you want to grit your teeth. So, so the humor oh. thing is back, but um, I think that another trend that kind of I think is really something that Mary, Dr. Mary, I think that you touched on is there's a huge cultural shift, particularly among Gen Z, which we call in Canada Gen Z, but they are definitely experiencing this post-COVID burnout. Uh, it's a result of pandemic-related isolation, and we're really seeing that it has taken a toll on them. They're feeling burnt out, and they're deeply concerned about issues like climate change, leading to eco-anxiety. It's a huge shift. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I, and I think that their, their, their concerns are deep, they're wide-ranging. I mean, they're pushing back against this relentless hustle culture, consumerism. They, they're actually seeking out brands that resonate with their values. You know, they're the ones that are embracing upcycling and favoring these indie brands instead of these monolithic corporations. And it's interesting to me because they're demanding that brands have a moral backbone. They're looking for authenticity, and they demand that brands embrace social responsibility and promote self-care. You know, that's fascinating because their great-great-grandparents did that right after the Depression. And if we look at COVID as a depression... Then, like mm-hmm. we're seeing mm-hmm. this this patterns in brains and and you know what what is eco anxiety? I've heard the term, but I don't know what it is. There's this almost fatalism about climate change um, that you know is really becoming a, a very big thing. A lot of therapists are now specializing mm-hmm. in um, with their clients in sessions. Um, talking about, you know, how to deal emotionally with what's going on in the world. So it's really becoming a very distinctive sort of um, form of anxiety that, that is particularly strong in this, this demographic and definitely tethered to kind of um, what's going on with climate change. So it's definitely a thing for sure. And I'm seeing it uh, come out in a lot of the work uh, as can you know, addressing the effects of climate change, things like, you know, the, you know, the depleting water supply, you know, so um, I think it's a really important time to be talking about emotional health and mental health and things like that. One of my have theories... a role to play in healing and connecting. Absolutely. Pardon? Yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted you sort of that. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just, I was going to say, I, I, I agree that brands have this emotional connection. And that's, you know, I never thought I would be emotionally connected to a Starbucks. I, how many Starbucks have I yeah. had in my life? But now yeah. I'm like, those people made the difference for me. And one of the things that I'm also seeing, if we, if we look at what we're looking at in mental health and wellness is, 
it's still one of those things we don't, you know, when somebody breaks a leg, we're, oh, okay, yes, you need treatment for that. But when somebody's burnt out, when somebody's um, exhausted, when somebody is suffering from depression, we don't say, oh, yes, go have treatment for that. We're like, suck it up, buttercup. So how do we, you know, brands, I think, are also, you talked about, and I think it's so important, you talk about brands changing. Like, brands can actually drive oxytocin. Um, oxytocin in our brains. I remember funny, funny commercials. I remember beautiful stories of kindness. Um, And that's what I hear you saying. So um, can you um, give us some examples? Like I love the example of the, I would go on hold and listen to him. He actually is hilarious. What are some of the other things you saw at Con, or sorry, at Kane, can, I'm never going to say it right now, um, that uh, you can share with us. I'm always going to say it wrong. Oh, well. Uh, that uh, <laughs> I feel bad, but not that bad. Um, how, like, what are some great things you saw? Like, just give us some, like, what are going to make us feel good sure. in 2024? Who's going to make us happy? Well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you some, 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 uh, some are more serious and some are just sort of playfully joyful. Um, Heineken is a brand that has always read the room very well. They're always been very culturally connected. And one of the things they did this year that was really smart, because it was funny, but it made its point, was they created a bottle opener that when oh, you opened your, at five o'clock, when you opened your, used it to open your, a bottle of Heineken, it automatically shut down your laptop. It was great. It was just, yay Heineken. They, they get it right again. So that was very funny. Um, Casper, um, you know, that one of the things that happens when you're very stressed out is you don't sleep well. Um, Casper Bed, mattress company, what they did is they created this, uh, they hired what they called champion sleepers and to just cozy into one of their <laughs> Casper beds and sleep in real time. And, and they, uh, they ran it online and offline. So you could just kind of tune in and watch these people sleeping. And it was a huge, huge hit, and it celebrated, you know, that, that moment of self-care to kind of look after yourself, which I thought was great. But there's other brands that I think are doing a great job on the more serious issues. Um, Corona, the beer company, what they did is they created a fishing uh, derby, a fishing contest that was global. And instead of bringing and, – and what they did is they focused on markets where the fishing stock has been depleted. And what they did is they rewarded – um, fishing, fishing people, fishing, I'm going to say fishing man, but that doesn't not sound right. You know, people who are fishing for a living, they rewarded them for bringing in plastic out of the ocean. So what they did is pulled the plastic out. It created a more natural, uh, helped fix the habitat for fish. They paid them um, for what they pulled out of the ocean so that they were getting money and they were helping to course correct um, the environment. So it was a win on a whole bunch of different levels that really mattered. And then I guess the other one I, I, I think is really important is Dove. When I was flying to Cannes this year, I sat beside a young lady on the plane, and she found out I was in advertising. She said, advertising helped to save my life. I said, really? She said, yes. When I was a young girl, she said she was 13 or so, her mother made her watch those Dove commercials that were called all about real beauty. And what this Dove commercial did is it showed um, how these images of beauty are created in the media, in mainstream media. 
the airbrushing, the fake, uh, the, 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 it was the before and after what this girl really looked like versus what um, was done to create this image out in advertising, which is this completely false image of beauty. And she, you know, it really taught young women to understand that they're beautiful the way they are and, and what, what real beauty is. And she said, my mom made me watch that commercial when I was 13 and it was really important to me. So I think there's an example of a brand that's doing social good in a different way that's addressing mental health in a different way um, that's spectacular. Karen, I just had someone text in a question, and uh, I'd be interested if you could report on this from Kat, is diversity and inclusion are becoming increasingly important for brands. Could you share a case where a brand excelled in embracing diversity and inclusion, and how did it resonate with consumer? Was there any ROI? Oh, my God, what a great question. What I find really interesting, and that is certainly one of the key learnings from Ken this year, is our definition of diversity and inclusion are really expanding. You know, it's not just about um, uh, race or sex, gender or sexual orientation. It's really becoming one about ableism, too, you know, abilities. And one of the most powerful um, campaigns I saw this year came to us from Apple. And it was about how Apple's technology helps address the challenges faced by those who have low vision or blindness or deafness, or they have um, issues rising from things like Down syndrome. Um, And Apple has remarkable technology in place. But what they did is they created this campaign that showed you how their technology helps make, make the world more inclusive to folks who have these challenges, but the commercial itself was created by those people. So it was a beautiful spot. It was beautiful in terms of not only just technology, but attitude and inclusion. And it it was very, very powerful. You know, and it's interesting because it not only makes you feel good, you love a brand for that, you become a brand advocate, but it delivers results on the bottom line. It does. When you you like a brand, you buy a brand. You stay loyal to a brand. And that is Mm -hmm. worth its weight in gold, literally. I I love that. I I, I didn't know about that campaign. Here's another one. Uh, Miss Karen, you mentioned the impact of Gen Z shift in values. Can you provide insights into how brands are adapting to cater to Gen Z's concerns and preferences? Yeah, um, you know, certainly the, the example of Corona, um, you know, doing something for climate change is really important for sure. Uh, one, one of the things I saw that I thought was very interesting is actually a government campaign. Um, and, you know, government campaigns can often be so banal. But this one comes to us from an island off the coast of Sweden called Gotland. And their issue, you know, one of the things that's very concerning is, um, you know, with climate change, there's a shortage of water in a number of places around the world. You know, you, you, I think you, everybody saw the global stats this year. It's one of the hottest years ever in the world. And as a result of this, what this government wants to do is they really wanted to in, uh, encourage people to use less water. So what they did is they kind of did a spin on something. They made uh, they did a campaign about a um, that made brown the new green in that they encouraged you to start a contest to see who could have the 
the deadest, brownest lawns. And it became a badge of honor. <laughs> and it became kind of a fun thing. It was a community builder. Um, everybody jumped in. Instead of wagging their finger and giving you a lecture, they kind of went, hey, let's all play together. And you know, at the same time, we're doing something really great. And we are doing something about the issue. So I thought that was incredibly insightful. Um, and I thought, I think it's something you're going to see around the world being, um, being uh, embraced as a way to kind of course correct behavior that is better for all of us. That's powerful. I really like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. so I'm sure there's marketers listening. We have about 30 seconds before we have to wrap up by probably a minute. Um, if there's marketers listening, and I love this question, clearly it's a marketer that's texting us. What advice do you have for brands looking to tap into culture and societal shifts while staying authentic and genuine in their messaging? Yeah, and I think that is a really uh, a really interesting question. Thank you for this question, because the answer is actually built into the question. I think it is absolutely paramount that it must be authentic to your messaging. Um, if you want to, um, it's important for any brand to be incredibly tuned into um, current events and cultural shifts and who they're talking and being mindful to their audience. The mindset of a Gen Z is fundamentally different from that of a boomer. Um, and I think that what you really need to be careful of is that you understand the world in which they live, what's keeping them awake at night, and you have to make sure that you wrap your messaging in that suit of clothes. And it needs to be authentic to your brand because if it's borrowed interest, it just sticks out like bolts on your neck, Frankenstein. So I think it's really important <laughs> to understand deeply who you're talking to and ensure that it, is a, it, it aligns with who you fundamentally are as a brand. So it all, all comes down to that word, which is authenticity. I like that. I think that's it. I like it. And Karen, as we wrap up today's show, I just want to say thank you, Karen Howe. You're awesome. And I loved your brands and how you talked about return on emotion. And I just, you know, I never thought about it that way. But from a mental health perspective, when I start looking at wellness, as that's what the show is about, it's really clear that brands can have a significant impact on our emotion and our experiences. And I love I love the idea of change, particularly the brown lawn. Hilarious. And mm-hmm. Heineken telling us to turn off our laptops. I'd probably yell at the bottle if I was stressed, but, you know, physically heal thyself moment. Um, so I just, it's a, you know, it's, maybe that's why I do so much of this is because I'm so stressed all the time. Um, uh, Richardson, anything else? What are we doing next week, my friend? Next week, um, for another exciting episode, we will explore the joy of giving, even oh, when yes. it costs you nothing. We'll delve into the science and sentiments behind the act of giving and how it can bring happiness and connection. Stay tuned for more fascinating discussions and insights on digital wellness with Dr. Mary. Karen, well, thank Dr. You. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Um, Karen, I just wanted to say thanks again. And I wanted to say thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. But what I really want you to take away from today is this idea of that chemical in your brain and the idea that compassion 
can heal both physically and mentally. As you're going forward into your Thanksgiving holiday next week, think about having a little more compassion for people. Think about when you're waiting in line, how can you make it more bearable for you? But how can you more make it more bearable for the person serving you? Those are some of the things I want us to think about and, and think about our fun quiz and think about all those wonderful things we talked about today. But enjoy yourself. Rest, relax, and be well. And don't forget, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Mary Donahue, D-O-N-O-H-U-E, or on Facebook. Uh, same thing, I think. You know me, Richardson. I always forget all the social media stuff or the Digital Wellness Center, right? Is there anything else I'm missing? No, that's pretty much it. Karen? Oh, oh, yeah, Instagram. Yeah. I always forget Instagram. Any last words? No, I just wanted to say the work you're doing is amazing, Dr. Mary. I'm so glad it's such a time for it. And um, I'm really glad to be included and lots more until the shares. I've got it to help us all live healthier, happier lives. And the one thing I'd say is don't forget, kindness is contagious too. I love that. And we have to have you back. Thanks, everybody. We wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and a blessed holiday. Take good care. <laughs> 